You're listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes, the podcast all about absolutely 100% true facts that are not made up. I'm your host, Piper Dawes, and with me as always is Christopher Parr, director of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research. Hey, Chris. Hello. Hello. Chris has gathered his favourite facts from the Institute's activity this week, and he's going to share them with us today. So, uh, Chris, what's the Institute been up to? Well, we were hoping to get back into the office after Christmas. But unfortunately, the Institute is situated in a Tier 11 area. So... Oh, dear. Well, that must be hard. I mean, I think we're in a Tier 4, but, like, that's insane. Yeah, I wouldn't want to brave the Boris clones or Boris Clonsons, as people are calling them, even just to get some facts from the office. Have you have you got some facts? Well, the problem is, Pi, because I've been working from home for a few months now, I'm starting to run out of room in my house to put facts. Right, okay. Um, I don't know what to suggest, Chris. I mean, maybe, uh, is there, can you get like an outhouse or something to store all the, all the, 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 the facts, the boxes of facts? Are you suggesting I put the facts in some kind of toilet? Oh, no, no, not a toilet. I mean, they deserve more respect than that. You said outhouse. Is that what? Oh, yeah. Well, like a a shed (laughs) or like a, you know, a a nice shed. A nice shed for facts. A fact shed. (laughs) Fact shed. Should we do some facts then? So that uh, that brings us on to our first fact. Uh, what's what 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 what? <laughs> Bloody hell, Chris! I need to get warmed up here. Hang on, fucking hell. So that brings us on to our first fact. What have we got here, Chris? An American tycoon attempted to relocate the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains is a three thousand mile stretch of rock, Rocky Mountains in western north america i mean honestly it's a buttload of rocky mountains isn't it chris there's quite a lot of rocky mountains in the rocky mountains yes yeah people have tried to move big things before there's a couple that bought a lighthouse in the south of england on the cheap because due to erosion it was months away from falling in the ocean so they moved it 17 meters inland it cost them eight hundred thousand to do so in 1851 the marble arch in london was moved from buckingham palace to hyde park but on my search i couldn't find any examples of actual natural landmasses being moved what happened so the florida-based billionaire buck donaldson who made his fortune in oil real estate and the exploitation of the proletariat had quote unquote purchased the rocky mountains from a con artist claiming to work for the U.S. Department of the Interior. This was during the economic downturn of the 1990s, and the grifter told Donaldson that the U.S. government was looking to make some extra cash by selling off some of its assets. The extra cash the con artist was able to rinse Donaldson for was to the tune of $100 million. So he just he just bought it from some guy, I assume, in a bar. That's how these things go down. And and what that what then? So once he had paid this vast sum of money, Donaldson realized his mistake. So after he'd paid, how much did he say it was? Hundred million dollars. I mean, to be honest, that doesn't sound like that much for an entire mountain range. But like, even so, I mean, that's not even as a billionaire, that's not that's not money just to be sniffed at. That's that's a fair amount, isn't it? So like, so he he paid that money, and then what? He just went, ah, shit. Yeah, it's a mountain range, isn't it? It's not, <laughs> it's not his. 
Well, no, he realised that he couldn't enjoy his new acquisition from his home in Florida. Oh, okay. Because the Rocky Mountains are practically on the other side of the continent. Oh, so that was the mistake. So he went, he, he was like, okay, right, so shit, I've just paid this money and I, I, I'm, I don't live there. I'm going <laughs> to... So he, what, he wanted to move it to where he was. Yeah, so he sent a fleet of trucks to the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, the southern stretch of the Rockies in New Mexico, where Donaldson intended to attach steel cables to the ranger's foothills and drag the Rocky Mountains across America. So they began in his home state of Florida. Yeah, I bet that went down well. Well, word spread throughout the country that billionaire Buck Donaldson was planning to move the Rockies. And so when he and his trucks arrived in New Mexico to pick up his purchase, so to speak, they were immediately met with resistance from various groups. Park rangers from the National Park Service, which manages the Rockies, opposed Donaldson on the grounds that moving mountains was against park regulations. <laughs> Environmentalists stood against the billionaire, concerned about the damage to the ecology of both the mountain range and the intervening land should the Rockies be dragged across the country. Fair, fair. And the National Guard turned up to protect the Rocky Mountains as a federal asset, which, to the government's knowledge, had not been sold to a Floridian billionaire. Yeah, it, it didn't go down well. <laughs> so you had park rangers, environmentalists, National Guard. What did he do then? Did he give up? I mean, you know, tycoons are renowned for backing down when they realise something's not legal, after all. <laughs> Well, uh, Donaldson has spent the last 20 years or so, as well as a considerable part of his fortune, defending his claim to the Rocky Mountains in court. Despite the bureaucratic and diplomatic impossibility of selling a mountain range that crosses not only state borders, but also national borders, as the Rockies' northern point is in Canada, and despite the complete lack of evidence in the Department of the Interior of the sale of the Rocky Mountains, Donaldson, perhaps falling foul of the sunk cost fallacy, remains adamant that he paid $100 million for the Rocky Mountains and that it is his right as a rich person to do whatever he wants <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, they are litigious out there they do like they do like fucking taking things to court when you said the past few years when did this originally happen when did the deal get signed when did he pay the money if you'll cast your mind back to the halcyon days of five minutes ago <laughs> you might remember that i said it was the 1990s <laughs> yeah thank you um <laughs> yeah so so he so he spent the past few years well that, that was 20 years ago that was 30 years ago between 20 and 30 years ago oh dear i'm not doing very well this time am i chris <laughs> in the 1990s that was between 20 and 30 years ago he spent that much time just trying to defend his claim to the mountains in court he's just stuck to his gut you know what chris i reckon rich people might be a bit stupid which is kind of ironic really because you know how did they secure their funds do you know you've got to be kind of clever to be rich surely I think it might be a case of there's a certain type of intelligence that is useful for business acquisitions. And then there's other types of intelligence that are useful for not getting conned into buying mountain ranges. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fair. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't, got, the, uh, he hasn't got the right uh, wherewithal to know what he's, what he's done there. And he's spent, what, like 20 odd years trying to trying to claim his rights to the rocky mountains and fine you know more power to him man like you know he's he's obviously got chutzpah 
Donaldson also has several private investigators on retainer and looking for the supposed government employee who sold him the Rocky Mountains, believing that he could clear this whole thing up. But whoever he was, he and Donaldson's $100 million have apparently disappeared. Yeah, he's long gone, mate. He's long bloody gone. He's Del Boy. He's, he's not coming back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do feel for the guy. Oh, poor man in his, his probably very large house. Poor rich man. Yeah. Oh, he's had a hard time, hasn't he? Why did he want the Rocky Mountains anyway, Chris? What's so good about... I mean, I mean, I know it's mountains. Mountains are nice. There's mountains in Florida, aren't there? Well, there's lots of reasons why Donaldson might want the Rocky Mountains. The Rockies are the longest mountain range in North America, and it's well known that billionaires always want the biggest things. That is true. The Rockies are home to bounteous mineral deposits, such as gold, tungsten and zinc, as well as coal, gas and oil. The Rockies also generate a lot of tourism, so there is a lot of money to be made in them, their hills. That's true. But if I was a tourist and I went to see the Rockies, I'd be very disappointed that they weren't there and I'd get very confused. So, I mean, it's truly... It's, it... Well, they just go to where they were after he moved them. But how do I know where they are? If I... Because presumably he would advertise the fact. There'd be a big sign in Colorado saying, we've moved. <laughs> Uh, well, I think I, I feel like I wouldn't believe it. I'd just be like, "Well, that's three thousand miles of of land. That's not happened, surely." Um, I'm 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 pretty sure that's 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 someone having a laugh. It, it, I didn't realize Banksy was in America making road signs and taking the piss. Uh, it, like I I I wouldn't believe it, Chris. I'd be like, "Well, no, that's not true." And and then and then and then I'd then I'd be very upset that the Rockies weren't there. And th- so I reckon that's a, a, the same with a lot of tourists. So he he's moved the Rockies somewhere. And it's, you know, a pretty famous bit of America, I imagine. I've not been to America, but I'm pretty sure people know where it is. Not America, the Rocky Mountains. They know where it is. So they'll be like, well, this isn't going anywhere, is it, Chris? (laughs) Much like the Rockies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought I I had a point, but I don't. (laughs) Donaldson is also a big fan of Sylvester Stallone. Is he? Yes. Oh! (laughs) 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 Oh, okay. It's all starting to make sense now. A little too late. I'm sorry. Sorry, I didn't quite twig on what was going there. Oh, Jesus. You know, I had to actually have the word Rocky Mountains in front of me before I realised what you were saying, because I was just scrolling. I was like, what does he mean? What? Do- oh. <laughs> <laughs> Have I missed something? Have I- That's got it. There's a joke in there. I know there is. It's the one main word of the fact. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, has he gone and bought the Rocky Mountains because he likes Sylvester Stallone? Is this where all this has come from? It's certainly part of it, I imagine. Maybe he had a plan to, like, after he'd moved them, to get Stallone to move to somewhere on the Rockies and then have that as a, a tourist attraction. Like, come meet Rocky in the Rockies. Do you know what, Chris? I feel like it would have been easier for this guy to move to the Rockies. You know, thinking about it, I feel like, on balance, of all the things he would have had to have done to move the Rockies to him, he could have just 
gone, gone, gone and moved. Just move house. Like the rest of us, like normal people. Anyway, <laughs> so this guy, this guy that sold him the Rockies, you said he was like a quote unquote government official. How did he convince this billionaire, Buck, billionaire Buck, that, that he actually owned the mountain range? Well, he had an official looking deed for the Rocky Mountains, which had the Department of the Interior letterhead and one of those holographic seals on it. Ah, oh, seals the deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be fooled by that, to be fair. Yeah. The con artist also took Donaldson up to the summit of Mount Elbert, the highest peak on the Rockies, where he showed the billionaire a boulder with the words property of the Department of the Interior carved on it. He then told Donaldson that once the money had been transferred, all he would need to do is scratch out those words and carve property of Buck Donaldson to make the sale official. Unsurprisingly, no judge has been willing to accept this as evidence that Donaldson owns the Rocky Mountains. Silly man. Silly rich man. What happened to the guy then? Do you have any idea? I mean, I know that you said that he hasn't been seen uh, and like he disappeared with the money, obviously. Do you have any idea what happened to him? I don't have any idea, no. Can we go find him? I mean, honestly, I, I, I feel like it's a bold move. But if a billionaire has a team of private investigators who can't find him, I don't see what you're going to do. Not me. You. You and the wonderful... In, in, um, I've forgotten the word again. Not initiative. What's it got? What? Institute. <laughs> 28 episodes, Piper. <laughs> you guys, with all your, all your infinite research and, and technology and everything, I imagine. Infinite technology? What are you on about? I imagine, I don't know, I, I feel like you're basically sir. I'm working from home, I've already said I need to build a shed to put a fax in. What do you think <laughs> I'm going to do? <laughs> uh, aside from the Rocky Mountains, are there any other examples of people selling big things that aren't theirs? There was Arthur Ferguson, a British actor who in the 1920s sold London landmarks to American tourists. He then moved to America and sold American landmarks to British tourists. He was then caught and sent to prison, where he promptly sold the prison to his cellmate. <laughs> oh, I love that scenario. So he's, in, he's literally in prison, in the cell with the guy, and the guy actually believes him. That's one hell of a con artist. <laughs> Shall we move on? No. Oh! In the 1960s, a con man sold Blackpool Tower as the Eiffel Tower to a mark. He then sold the Eiffel Tower as Blackpool Tower to another mark. Um, and afterwards, both marks realised that they had each bought the wrong tower, but fortuitously, they happened to meet and were able to swap. Oh, that's nice. Oh. <laughs> So they, well, just by, just by, Chris, one of the things you learn about me is that I can't handle coincidences. I, I actually get a bit freaked out by them. So these two marks met. What were the chances of the meet? Did they meet at a convention for people called Mark? They weren't called Mark. Mark is a term used by con artists to designate the subjects of their cons. All right. <laughs> Also, I think you're missing the the underlying problem of this particular thing in that neither of the marks actually owned the towers they'd been sold. So no matter how much they swapped them, they still didn't own the towers they thought they bought. I did miss that bit because I was focused on them being called Mark. <laughs> That's the most important part of this fact. Uh, 
Okay, so let's move on to the second fact of the show. What have we got, Chris? When they weren't sacrificing humans, the Aztec pyramids were used for open mic nights. So the Aztecs, they were a civilization based in central Mexico between the 14th and 16th centuries. Aztec culture had rich and complex mythological and religious traditions, including sacrificing people in their thousands. I mean, like a lot of people, like a lot, a lot. But the culture also achieved remarkable architectural and artistic accomplishments. But it is hard to imagine what their artistic side might look like, though. What do, what do we know, Chris? So as you mentioned, human sacrifice was central to Aztec culture. They believed that the gods had sacrificed themselves to create the universe. And human sacrifice was necessary as a sort of continual debt repayment. And while the Aztecs did do quite a bit of human sacrifice, a reportedly sacrificing over 80,000 people at a single ceremony once, the bloodletting wasn't constant. When their pyramids weren't being used for mass slaughter, the Aztecs used them for less violent cultural projects. Okay, so the pyramids then, they were like a multi-purpose building, like sort of like a church hall. Yeah, I suppose. A church hall where... They sometimes killed people, yeah. Yeah. So the Aztecs would put on plays, usually about their own gods and myths. There were academic lectures on various subjects for the adults and puppet shows for the kids. Although I don't know if they use finger puppets. Ah, I was just going to say that. <laughs> I thought, wait, I know I, he's going to say something. No, wait, no, I'll say it. I'll say it. Someone's got to mention, mention finger puppets. One of us has got to do it. <laughs> And there were even events in which members of the Aztec public were invited to take the stage, so to speak. So basically, Aztec open mic nights. Oh, well, I love that. Okay. So they had like set pieces, set public performances and, and like you say, puppet shows. Brilliant. Love that. And lectures and stuff. That's cool. Cool. So, but then they had the open mic night. So what sort of open mic performances took place on those nights then? So we can't be entirely certain what kind of things the ordinary Aztec citizen did on these open mic nights because the Aztecs didn't bother to record very much of it. Presumably because, like contemporary open mic nights, it was all embarrassing rubbish. But it's reasonable to assume that Aztec open mic nights involved poetry recitals, musical performances, and maybe even some stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy! Oh, brilliant. Okay, well, it's the, the language of the ages, isn't it, Chris? Great. Okay, well, I mean, obviously this has created quite the uh, picture in me. This, these are essentially, I mean, they're not, they're not like barbarians, but they do murder a lot of humans, let's be fair. Or they did. They're not around anymore, are they, Chris? Are they? No, no. Okay, right. So they don't murder people. Any Fine. But they, so, so these genocidal maniacs, essentially, were into poetry music and and maybe even a bit of stand-up fine all right i accept it I, I i'll allow it how do you know chris like i often wonder how you get these things um, to come to the podcast like how, how you get these facts how do we know that they they had this open mic night our knowledge of these aztec open mic nights have been pieced together from a number of sources including engravings on the pyramids themselves depicting these cultural events surviving writings and paintings which describe what the Aztecs got up to when they weren't basically murdering people and the historical accounts of the conquering Spanish 
One Spanish observer was understandably horrified by the Aztec obsession with human sacrifice. But after witnessing one open mic night, he wrote that he would rather watch a thousand hearts ripped from the chest of a thousand screaming women than sit through another awkward poetry reading. <laughs> Do you know what? There's quite a, quite the alternative scene in Huddersfield. When we're out of lockdown, you know, like, um, and I've got to say, been to a few open mic nights been to a few slam poetry nights i get that reaction i totally do <laughs> right so i hesitate to ask my next question chris for fear of losing losing listeners do any examples exist of this uh, aztec poetry or even the stand-up comedy there's no surviving record of what aztec stand-up might have sounded like which is probably for the best i mean who knows what are people who are okay with human sacrifice might have found funny yeah. There is a surviving poem which is thought to have been performed by a member of the public. Great, great, excellent. Yes. Do you have you got it? I have, yes. It's been titled Blood, been translated from the Aztec language. Oh well thank you. That's good. <laughs> and it goes like this Blood. 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 Blood, 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 blood blood inspired blood oh blood 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 are, are you, are blood you... <laughs> blood 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 are you done yeah wow i'm i mean it's it's a lot isn't it chris <laughs> oh sorry piper i've forgotten to turn the page blood okay we are brought once again onto our third fact what is this fact christopher parr well piper doors in the 1980s wall street was invaded by junkie bees junkie bees Oh, well, obviously, I love this already. Wall Street is in the financial district of Manhattan, which apparently is in New York, which is a city. But that is inside another New York, and that's a county? A state. It's a, it is a right state. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can't believe you laughed at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's an eight-block stretch of road that includes a lot of the city's major financial institutions including the New York Stock Exchange. It's not somewhere you'd want to see a bunch of bees, is it, Chris? What happened? So scientists in a laboratory in New York City in the 1980s were conducting experiments into the effects of cocaine on bees. Brilliant. And found that small doses of the drug increased the likelihood of the bees performing the dance they do to tell other bees where flowers are, even if they haven't found any flowers. 
and cause bees to exaggerate the amount of nectar they've collected. They also discovered that bees suffer from withdrawal symptoms after having their supply cut off, showing that bees can become addicted to cocaine. This is the kind of science that I can get behind. This is fantastic. Um, you can get behind addicting animals to drugs. Uh, I mean... I meant it in a comedic way, as in this is very pointless. I don't really want bees to get addicted to cocaine, but it seems such a strange thing to talk about anyway. So I thought I'd say, you've made me sweaty. <laughs> I'm really sweaty now. I don't know what to say. All right. Okay. Let's try again. Right. So, <laughs> so, they, so they, okay. So a bunch of scientists decided to get bees addicted to cocaine and then took the cocaine away and realized they didn't like it. Okay. So what? And they just let them loose on the general public to see what happened. Well, no, they just let them loose. An accident in the lab allowed some of the cocaine-addicted bees to escape, and the insects immediately set about seeking out their next fix. So this being New York in the 80s, the bees made a beeline hey. for the best place to find cocaine in the city, Wall Street. Oh, so so this was a whole accident then, a scientific accident, and they just like they escaped. The bees escaped, as junkies are wont to do if their supply is cut off. Fair enough, I understand. And they went to where the cocaine is. Fair enough. So where exactly did they find cocaine in Wall Street? Everywhere. 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 Just as an aside, so Wall Street is is where the stock exchange is. It's the financial district. Why was that where the bees thought they'd find cocaine? Why is there cocaine everywhere in Wall Street? Well, it's part of the whole yuppie lifestyle. It's the whole American psycho thing, isn't it? It's all white men in suits snorting cocaine and doing money stuff. And that that's good for bees, is it? They like that too. Oh, well, these bees liked it, yes. Because uh, for several weeks, the junkie bees terrorised New York's financial district, swarming around the New York Stock Exchange, the various investment firms and credit rating agencies, and the nighttime haunts of stockbrokers, bankers and hedge fund managers in search of blow. I mean, this is very 80s, this whole concept. <laughs> I love this. What impacts did this actually have on... Wall Street itself and the stock exchange then? Well, the recession of the 1980s was partly caused by the bees as stockbrokers and bankers ceased their important work of moving imaginary numbers around to run about and flail their arms around wildly while screaming, ah, bees. It's weird that you'd, you'd shout bees when there's a massive cloud of bees because I feel like that's the most obvious thing. I mean, everybody knows that's what's happening. Why would you shout bees? It, like, literally the person next to you is like, oh, look, there's bees. And you're getting covered in bees. And you're like, ah, bees. The rest of the crowd around you will just be like, I know. They might not be quite so calm about it. They'll just go, yeah, I know there's bees. And just you know, get on with their, <laughs> their day. <laughs> Yeah, maybe not. Actually, I'd be fucking terrified. You know how, how I feel about bees, Chris. I'm not a big fan. I don't like bees. It's a bloody good job I'm not a stockbroker, isn't it, Chris? For several reasons, yes. <laughs> Another cause of the recession was the downturn in cocaine sales as Wall Street bankers stopped buying nose candy in an attempt to protect themselves from the junkie bees. So not only did the bees just directly disrupt everything, they they also screwed up the financial situation of America, essentially, in the 80s by fucking up the cocaine industry, which actually I think, I think says a lot about Wall Street. 
And adult bee only lives for a few weeks, so eventually all the bees died. And the stockbrokers and bankers of Wall Street were able to get back to their work, having learned nothing from the experience. Chris, why did it happen? Why the bees? The bi- why did the bees happen? Why did they not the bees? Not like the whole species. Like you know, like why why did the experiment on the bees with the cocaine and the um, addiction and Wall Street and everything? Why did all that happen? Why did they start doing this? The trace amounts of cocaine that exist in the uncultivated coca plant are known to act as an insecticide. So they were testing the effects of refined cocaine in insects. They also wanted to see if, should cocaine act as a stimulant on bees as it does in humans, if it would increase the bees' productivity. Rumours that the experiments were bankrolled by Pablo Escobar because he wanted to expand his customer base are unsubstantiated. Chris, why do we think cocaine is so popular amongst bankers and the rich? Cocaine is the second most popular recreational drug after cannabis. And whereas the wacky backy is more popular with the lower classes because its psychoactive effects serve to distract from a life of exploitation by capitalism, cocaine is a stimulant and helps the wealthy to concentrate on their exploitation of the lower classes. But there are also more ways to show off your wealth when taking cocaine. You can snort it through a rolled up banknote, which means that not only do you have the money to buy cocaine, but you also have the money to use that money to snort the cocaine you use your other money to buy. Wow. Um, great. You can also snort it off the chest of a sex worker, which means not only do you have the money to buy cocaine, but you also have the money to pay for the services of a sex worker to snort the cocaine off. And if you snort the cocaine off the chest of a sex worker through a rolled up banknote, it means that not only do you have the money to buy a cocaine, but you also have the money to use that money to snort the cocaine you used your other money to buy off the chest of the sex worker whose services you bought with some of your other money. (laughs) oh bloody hell chris are there uh, at any other times the animal kingdom has changed the economic landscape yeah the most notorious and successful group of criminals in australia was a band of crows who in the 19th century robbed several convoys transporting gold across the continent making off with vast fortunes of the shiny metal. It does sound like crows. That is their thing. They'd like, they'd, yeah. In the 15th century, England almost went bankrupt when a goat got into the royal mint and ate all the money. <laughs> is this when they stopped decorating them at Christmas and went for trees instead? Fucking <laughs> goats. Okay, so that brings us on to our fourth and final fact of the show. What is this, Chris? A North Korean toy manufacturer makes action figures of Kim Jong-il. Cool, great. We've talked about North Korea before on this show. For those that don't already know about it, I've taken the liberty of accessing the North Korean version of Wikipedia to get the lowdown on it direct from the source. So uh, here we go. The Democratic People's Republic of Korea is a totally not totalitarian utopia situated in East Asia. 
we have our own much better internet without all the lies and corruption of the West. Our leaders have always been fair and just, particularly Kim Jong-il, who's basically Jesus or something. Everyone's super happy and not at all trying to escape. So honestly, it sounds great. I mean, it sounds great, Chris, doesn't it? Um, and they really love Kim Jong-il, uh, enough to make action figures out of him. So what are they like, Chris? So like his father, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il was the subject of a cult of personality, which revered him almost as a deity. North Korean mythology holds that Kim Jong-il's birth was heralded by winter spontaneously changing into spring, the appearance of a double rainbow, and cats giving birth to puppies. And his death was accompanied by the worst blizzard in the country's history. To reflect the almost magical properties attributed to Kim Jong-il, a North Korean toy manufacturer produces a range of action figures which bestow actual powers and abilities to their supreme leader. Cool. So they make toys based on Kim Jong-il, who is a, as far as I know, a normal person. I mean, well, not a normal person, but like not someone with super magic powers. But they suggest that he's, yeah, they, they these toys have... A Kim Jong-il with special powers, basically. Okay, what what sort of powers? So some of these powers and abilities are fairly standard for both action figures and human beings. One, Kim Jong-il has karate chop action, because some people know karate. Another, Kim Jong-il has eagle eyes, because most people can move their eyes back and forth. And another, Kim Jong-il, has an LED embedded in his chest. An LED? Yes, a light-emitting diode. Fuck off. I, don't, I knew you were going to say, I know what an LED is, you prick. <laughs> well, don't go LED then. <laughs> that is what I sound like. Um, why, no, why did he have one? Why did he have an LED embedded in his chest? What, what does that, what does that, I mean, that, what power does that denote? Just chest light. Of the power of having a, a glowing heart or an arc reactor like Iron Man. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah, okay. So I kind of want one now, obviously. What, what else? <laughs> well, I want a, <laughs> want a Kim Jong-il action figure. What, what else do these toys come with then? The manufacturer also produces accessories for Kim Jong-il, giving the supreme leader access to animal and robot allies, like a husky with a missile launcher or a mechanical butler, a fleet of futuristic vehicles, such as a rocket ship, or a jeep with a machine gun behind the grill. Various weapons from laser guns to ninja stars. Not to mention his own restaurant and hotel, where he works as the chef and concierge, respectively. I mean, that's more than an accessory, isn't it? That's like the Barbie dream house, but like a, a restaurant. That That's like a whole set. That's awesome. But you're not turning me away from wanting this, Chris. This is making me want it more. <laughs> I want Kim Jong-il and, and this, this magic restaurant of wonder. And I want, I want to make his karate chop action, chop some sushi and, and we can make, make some meals for the townspeople and it'll be a wonderful time. Oh, can I have a great time? I want, I want one, Chris, I really do. So this sounds like quite a complex set of original toys. Well, though the manufacturer insists that the figures are based on original designs inspired by the eternal precedent, they are clearly remoulded versions of various Western action figures, just with a face change to that of Kim Jong-il. Oh. Nowhere is this more obvious than in some of the more outlandish figures, such as where Kim Jong-il dresses like a bat to fight crime, 
the one whose torso and face pop off to reveal a Terminator endoskeleton. Or the one where Kim Jong-il is an anthropomorphic turtle trained in the art of ninjutsu who has a predilection for pizza. Right, yeah, okay. I can't see where they could possibly have got that from. Well, obviously it's from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, by the Oh, bloody hell, I know. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't... It was sarcasm. Oh, oh Chris. <laughs> right, listen, Chris. Yes, hello. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, so... How are you? I'm, I'm great. Three sheets to the wind. So these... These action figures, obviously they're based on Western action figures, Terminator and and Turtles and and all of that. Obviously, and I already knew that from what you were saying. Um, (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) It was quote-unquote sarcasm. (laughs) Shut your face. Um, But it, it sounds like they're trying to pass it off as an original figurine with an original backstory. Do they actually put forward the backstories that these iterations of Kim Jong-il have, you know, to make the extra features make sense? So the backstory is that the Kim family are basically gods and can actually do all the things that the action figures do. So according to North Korean mythology, Kim Jong-il was a black belt in karate. He did have a pet husky with a missile launcher. And he was a robot sent from the future to protect John Connor. Yes, uh, I mean, um, amazing. I mean, to be honest, Chris, if you're going to take all the best franchises from American Hollywood movies, all of the best bits of the best stories from all of those movies, and put them into a single narrative for one person, the leader of North Korea, I mean, that's a hell of a story. Do you think that's better than the separate stories on their own? I think, I think maybe that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, you mean is just one story all about Kim Jong-il all the time better than lots and lots of individual stories made by individual people? So basically what you're saying, Piper, is you prefer some kind of cultural totalitarianism to individualism. I mean, it's, this, this sounds like a trap, but I mean, that sounds great. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> why not? Why not? It's fine. That's how they get you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this franchise of ripped off toys for Kim John Eel. I mean, I, I'm excited by it. Are there any toy adverts for him, Chris? There are no adverts for the figures, partly because advertising suggests capitalist competition and the toy manufacturer who makes the figures is the only toy manufacturer in North Korea. But also because these action figures are actually mandatory for North Korean children. Mandatory? Yeah, all boys in North Korea are provided with the latest Kim Jong-il action figure. And all girls are given the great leader's latest hospitality venture. They're like government issue. Do they have to pay for them? No, it's all communist, isn't it? Where does the money come from, though, Chris? I don't understand. Well, I mean, without wanting to go into a lengthy discussion about the nature of communism. (laughs) Oh, please do. (laughs) Simply put... The so-called communist states that have existed up to this point are actually basically just state-owned capitalism. And so they perform the same exploitation of the workers as capitalism. They just dress it up as communism. Oh, okay. All right. All right, fine. Well, no, that's fine. I I definitely understand all of that. So what other toys are available in North Korea? There are three other government-mandated toys and games in North Korea. 
There is a version of Jenga called Jonga. <laughs> Do you know what, Chris? I didn't see that wordplay coming. I did not see that coming at all. Was not prepared for that. The aim of Jonga is to construct the tower and then admire its stability for a short time before getting on with your work. Great. The single video game available in North Korea is an annual management sim called Kim Jong-un's very difficult but divinely appointed task of managing the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, in which the player takes the role of a member of the cabinet of North Korea and must follow Kim Jong-un's orders precisely. Just to give the listener a, a bit of insight, like if you were to liken this to any other sort of video game that, that we might be aware of, what would you... Is it like The Sims? It's more like something like Theme Hospital. Oh, I love Theme Hospital. It's bloody great. All right, carry on. There is no way to lose Kim Jong-un's very difficult but divinely appointed task of managing the Democratic People's Republic of Korea because the player can't do anything but follow his instructions. Well, that sounds like a microcosm of his actual leadership. <laughs> Any other toys? Well, I did say were three, didn't I? Like three others. And we, and you've only done you've only done two so far, so there must be another one. Yes, and of course, pogs. 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 Are you telling me they've still got pogs in North Korea? They are immensely popular in North Korea. I mean, I can't see why they ever died out over here, to be honest. They're fucking brilliant. I prefer Tazos, though, because you can connect them together. I remember Tazos. I remember going into the local corner shop and feeling bags of crisps for the one that had the Tazo in. I also remember doing that. <laughs> but then you'd find one and you'd buy it and open it and it turned out it was just a particularly flat crisp. I reckon they started making flatter crisps. <laughs> all the conspiracy <laughs> the illuminati started making flat crisps to stop kids from getting tazos it's the new world order i never owned a single tazo i just like <laughs> thought i was gonna and then just like no flat crisp again fuck <laughs> well <laughs> didn't know that was where this fact was gonna go but that's <laughs> <laughs> fucking tazo <laughs> All right, that's it. You've been listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes with me, Piper Dawes. I can be found on Twitter at Piper Talks and Christopher Parr from the Munchausen Institute. I can be found on Twitter at Drilby Norton and the Institute can be found at Muin Photo Ray Ray, which is M-U-I-N-F-O-T-O-R-E-R-E. And you can contact the podcast on Twitter at cubes that's s-w-e-c-u-b-e-s and facebook and instagram at chickens can't see cubes be sure to rate and review the episode on your chosen podcast app it helps the show thank you cheers for listening to chickens can't see cubes and remember you probably could make it up but we haven't honest we haven't we really haven't and we'll catch you once again on next week's show bye everyone bye bye goodbye And if you snort the cocaine off the chest of a sex worker through a rolled up banknote, <laughs> it means that not only do you have the money to buy cocaine, 
but you also have the money to use that money to stop the cocaine. <laughs> you use your other money. <laughs> I tried. To, I tried really hard to keep quiet. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry I interrupted <laughs> with a laugh there, but like fucking hell, I couldn't I couldn't hold it together for right. That was too long a sentence to expect me to keep it together. <laughs> oh, for it's the whole sake. museum, museum, museum thing again, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna let you do that bit. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm not sure I can do it now. <laughs>